You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Hello, everybody, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. As always, my name is Danny Anderson, uh, the host of this here show. And joining me today are, as one of my most, ex- I've never been as excited, I think, to do a show as, as this one, perhaps, um, in the almost 200 episodes that we've had. And uh, and uh, joining me today as sort of co-interviewer is longtime friend of the show, uh, colleague over at the Christian Humanist Podcast, David Grubbs. David, how are you? I'm great, Danny. Um, that's great. You've uh, moved successfully and everything. Yes, um, uh, we, are, we are in the new house, though, trying to figure out where to put all the books in a house that <laughs> Two rooms smaller than the one we moved from. Yes. So from Houston to Alabama, probably just as yep. hot, but fewer hurricanes, I would say. So yes, more hills. <laughs> Very good. Less seagulls. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into that uh, in future episodes. But joining David and I today is Mark Matsky. Uh, Mark is um, a, a co-host of a podcast called Monsteropolis, and which is sort of an offshoot of a larger project called um, Small Town Monsters. And Small Town Monsters is a really, really great uh, little film company that does independent documentaries about cryptids and UFOs and the paranormal and, and that sort of thing. And anybody who listens to the show long enough knows that I it's a, an interest of mine. I've had Lauren Coleman on the show uh, several years back, and um, that was a big thrill of mine as well. And uh, so just a little backstory uh, about Mark. Um, not only is he a cryptozoologist, I don't know if you would actually use that term for yourself or not, um, but you are also a Lutheran minister, right? Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and maybe the work that you do both in clergy, clergy and in, uh, you know, monster hunting? Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know if I would refer to myself as a cryptozoologist so much as maybe a a uh, historian of cryptozoologists or, you know, sort of a, I don't know what, a cultural commentator on that whole scene. It could be something about, you know, the, the direction of that. But anyway, I have, uh, I am indeed uh, ordained Lutheran Church, uh, Missouri Synod pastor. I've been serving churches for 23 years at this point. Um, they have all been in the state of Ohio. I'm not originally from Ohio, but it's now it's home. Um, and uh, the three out of the four churches that I've served at have been in the Northeast Ohio area. So uh, essentially Cleveland area. And there's sort of a returning home feel to that in two ways. One is that my, my dad grew up on the west side of Cleveland in Lorraine. And my wife was born and raised in Akron. So I, this is home now. And it's, um, it's also in Ohio where I uh, first made the acquaintance of Seth Breedlove, who is the major domo of Small Town Monsters. And uh, you know, he, along with his wife, uh, it's their company. They create it, they run it out of their home in Wadsworth, Ohio. And 
it was um, quote unquote chance encounter with Seth and his dad at a Bigfoot conference at Salt Fork State Park that really was the intro to my um, involvement with STM. That's that's how it started was by uh, sharing a a meal with uh, me and my wife and son and Seth and his dad. Uh, that led to uh, recording a podcast with Seth that predated Monsteropolis called Sass What. And it was during the time that that was getting going that Seth started his first movie project. So these things sort of, there's no master plan that he had or that I had, but it was truly a one thing leads to another. So we were doing this podcast just like we're doing it now. We didn't even live close enough to each other where we could get together to record in the early days. So it was always Google Hangouts, uh, week in and week out, doing the show. And then he started uh, working on the project that became Minerva Monster, which was STM's first film. And one thing just led to another as far as involvement in the films, doing some help with production, eventually uh, leading up to the point where I was co-writing and narrating uh, different projects and, and things like that. So it's been a, a, an amazing ride. I mean, one of the, the gifts of this whole thing is that um, about a year ago, I worked on a book, actually, that was made available to our Kickstarter backers, looking back on the first five years of STM. And it's it's just absolutely unbelievable what we've packed into a five-year span of time, just as far as number of projects, places we've been. You know, you mentioned Lauren Coleman. Uh, my son and I found ourselves picking Lauren Coleman up from the Cleveland airport and taking him around Northeast Ohio down to Minerva and just things that if you would have told me six years ago, these are this is what's going to happen to you in your toy box of life area. I would have said, you've got to be crazy. You know, there's no way any of that's going to happen. And it's all, it's all happened. It's just been a, a, a tremendous amount of fun. I'm always wondering, when's the ride going to stop, you know? And so far, that part has not. Um, I'm just grateful for it. Yeah, I uh, I am also from Northeast Ohio. I was born in Cleveland. I ended up going to school in Akron. Um, and my wife actually went to Norton, which is right next door to Wadsworth. Um, and mm-hmm. so um, I, I discovered... Um, small town monsters through Minerva monster. Uh, I saw that come up on, I think Amazon or something. And I yeah. thought, Hey, I know where Minerva is like, <laughs> that's right. And then I realized there's this entire catalog of these really cool to me. It's like the best independent filmmaking, right? It, it's, it's, uh, it's like the best version that you can think of, of that. It's people who have sort of a passion for a thing. They kind of start in their local area and really kind of grow from there. And uh, and so I, I discovered you guys through that. And then when I found out there was the, the Monsteropolis podcast, I was uh, I was kind of hooked. And and so, um, yeah, I, I felt like a lot of like, I, I, I knew what you guys were talking about when you were talking, right? And so I used to live in Barberton, for example. Uh, oh, sure. and, uh, and I remember there was an episode of Monsteropolis where you were talking to somebody about some UFO sighting over there behind uh, Belgrade Gardens, I think it was. And, and so, yeah, um, yeah and I'm, I'm like... <laughs> I went to Belgrades all the time. I know exactly where this is. And so, um, and yeah. so anyway, but uh, uh, I, I'm going to geek out today too much. Um, David, how did you discover um, Mark and and, uh, and Seth and their work? Well, you, 
<laughs> well, we had been talking about uh, we've been talking about this stuff, chatting about it on uh, on social media, and uh, just sort of mutual interest. Uh, I haven't, even though I spend so much, I've spent so much of the last ten plus years recording podcasts. I don't listen to a lot of them because. Um, I, I, I listen to audiobooks when I commute. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's but, why he's smarter than everybody else that I know. <laughs> uh, that's how it goes. But I've, I, I've always been interested in, in monsters generally, but cryptids uh, in particular, uh, I, I would check out and check out and recheck out uh, 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 John Green's Sasquatch book yeah. from my local library. Um, I think it was, is it Willie Lay's exotic zoology? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then I'm not even sure how to say his name, Bernard. It looks like Hoovelman or Hoovelman's or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, in search of, I can't remember in, in uh, search of mysterious creatures or, or something like that. I don't have the book in front of me. They were older, they were older books. And mm-hmm. so I'm a kid, you know, just sort of pouring through those. Uh, and it just shaped a lot of a lot of what I was interested in. But Danny and I happened to be uh, in conversation, and he said, "Hey, have you seen have you seen these?" Because he knew that I'd read he knew I'd read um, Mothman prophecies. We we talked about that, and we talked about um, the the movie, and uh, he referred me to uh, to y'all's documentary, and mm-hmm. then. I popped over and I just listened. I just watched all the backlog that I could see <laughs> that I could yeah. find um, and loved it because uh, so much that's produced on those subjects is of the oh, sort of history channel, ancient aliens kind of feel mm-hmm. the sort of the monster quest feel, which yeah. we're going to tease, tease, tease and nothing. Yeah. <laughs> And the the approach, uh, I really uh, appreciate the the small town monsters approach, which is more focused on storytelling, on uh, the the stories of of people that you get to see and hear it in their voice and the ways that things, not just what they saw and was it real and what was it, but also how has it continued to affect their lives, even as they're reflecting on things that happened decades ago. Um, that side of it, I found. Uh, beyond peeling back the sensation peeling back the you know you know sort of shock music just before the commercial cut yeah (laughs) right i I used to call i used to call the show never finding bigfoot um (laughs) yes um but um although hearing him a lot but um but and i i totally agree the production value and i love that show by the way i don't mean to trash those guys um (laughs) but the production value um of of a small town monster show is really what i think sets it apart it really does it's like creating a little artwork out of the stories right and, and i'm pre- i know the one that you co-wrote is actually my favorite one um the bray road beast it's i, I love werewolves everyone that listens to the show already knows that okay. uh and that's uh, one of my favorite werewolf documentaries actually and um and there's like between the animations and between like the opening credits I mean, there's a real kind of artistry that goes into the productions that you guys do and it's it's kind of um i agree with david it, it is really unique in the world of uh of these kinds of uh programming and so um it's just a pl- 
plug, uh, an extended plug for everything yeah. you guys do. Uh, um, if listeners yeah. uh, uh, haven't checked you out yet, they really should. I want to get to the, um, the the actual purpose of this show, though. I was mowing out here one day, and um, and I was listening to Monsteropolis, and you were doing a, a listener email recently, and uh, one of the the uh, questions was to you directly, Mark, about mm-hmm. um, how you sort of reconcile being a person of faith with an interest even in paranormal stuff and, and sort of an open mind, at least towards um, things like Bigfoot and that kind of thing. Um, and I thought that your, um, you know, brief answer to that question was so interesting. Um, and I got the idea that maybe I should, you know, uh, get up the nerve and approach you to see if you could come on the show. And then, you know, independently, David um, was also listening and he emailed me with the same idea. And I said, well, that's the sign. I'm going to go ahead and ask. And and you're nice enough to show up and, and talk about that. And so I really do want to give you a chance, I guess, to talk about that, um, that convergence, I guess, because uh, for someone, you know, David and I are both um, religious people and, and interested in religion. And um, and yeah, you do kind of at some point feel a bit like an oddball in religious communities for mm-hmm. even entertaining such nonsense. Right. You know what I mean? Um, right. And uh, either either it's silly or it's downright dangerous, right? Uh, and so, and it's it's sort of subversive somehow to Christian mm-hmm. culture. And so, mm-hmm. I've always felt a bit not necessarily at odds, but sort of uh, that's a part of my life I just can't share with uh, so many of my fellow believers, right? And mm-hmm. so um, I just wanted to kind of give you a chance to start uh, sort of talking about how it is that you can sort of walk in both worlds very comfortably. Oh, sure. Well, thank you for that. I mean, it's um, a question that I've had to come to grips with because it seems it's it's a matter of, it's only a matter of time when we're out and about doing you know um presentations or movie screenings you know back when you could get groups of people together and (laughs) do social (laughs) things um it's just it's inevitable that somebody's going to bring the question up that in one way or another um goes something like this you know as a as a christian pastor as a lutheran pastor how do you reconcile your interest in cryptids let's say with your faith or your standing in a religious community. And um, after being asked that two or three times in different settings, I figured I'd better come up with an actual coherent answer to that uh, beyond just sort of intuitively living my life. Um, and I guess the answer for me lies in this, is that coming from a background where, you know, in, in the Missouri Senate, a, a confessional Christian group, where by and by confessional, of course, I mean we have uh, statements of faith that are very detailed, and part of uh, occupying a, a clergy position in a confessional setting is you you subscribe to these confessional writings as speaking for you, or you've checked them out and you say, yeah, that's I've looked this over. This expresses what I believe. Part of our confession is that the Bible is telling you the truth, that it is God's word, and as such, it gets reality right. Okay, well, when you start to examine that, you know, and you take a look at, of course, in context and whatever genre of writing you happen to be looking at, you know, if it's a narrative, then it's telling you history of something that unfolded in real time somewhere in the world. 
And so that's how you interpret that piece. And over and over again, what I see in Scripture is, by any definition, um, it's shot through with supernatural events and things that we would today look at. If we didn't know the context of the story we were hearing, we'd say, oh, that's paranormal. Because you have angels showing up, you have people having visions, um, Ezekiel seeing things in the sky rolling towards him, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And to me, when we start talking about everything today that gets branded with a, just an unexplained label, to me there really is very little in the way of trying to reconcile that with my worldview. That is my worldview. That almost anything can happen depending on what God wants to have happen in a given situation and historically has happened. You know, taking the the book of Luke seriously, Mary was minding her own business and an angel showed up in her room and said, you're going to bear uh, my chosen promised Messiah from of old. You're the one. And, you know, by any stretch, that's not something that typically happens on a normal day. <laughs> They're thereby making it a, a paranormal or supernatural event. And what I find fascinating from where I stand is the amount of, you know, Christian advice or opinion that holds supernatural stuff at arm's length, you know, and we could get into a really drawn out conversation about, you know, how did, how did the Protestant church end up in a situation where they're poo-pooing things that are miraculous. Well, there is a history to that, but, you know, very few people I think are truly interested in knowing the entire history, but there is a reason why. And I guess I see part of my heritage, part of my confession is we never let any of that go. We still insist that there is um, a realm beyond ours that you cannot normally see or sense. And that occasionally can break into ours. And I'm not suggesting that that's the explanation to every weird thing that ever happens to somebody. But in the same breath, I would say, um, you know, when people start talking about other dimensions and so on and so forth, again, scripture is very straightforward in saying that there are principalities and powers and things beyond what we can normally experience. But they're there and they're affecting our everyday lives in ways that we really have no idea about, uh, except for a few you know, references here and there in scripture. So um, that's one way of talking about it. Uh, and of, of course, there's much more, I suppose, that could be said, but I'll trace this back to more of a narrative thing too. You know, when I was going through seminary and uh, by that time, you know, I was, as a kid, you know, I'm talking about five, six, seven years old. I was reading the type of books that David was reading, <laughs> or at least the, the kid versions of those, like Marion T. Places on the trail or on the track of Bigfoot and Bigfoot all over the country. Those are probably the first Bigfoot books I ever read. So by the time I'm a young man in seminary, I've read all the stuff, you know, including Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. And so I was in a systematics class one day. And my professor, uh, was, uh, Professor Marquardt, he had come from Australia to the United States. So it really didn't matter what he said. It sounded cool. So that all those students were listening very carefully. 
and one day in our systematics course, you know, we got to supernatural issues. We got to witchcraft, paranormal, exorcisms. What do Lutherans really believe about that? And I think he shocked a bunch of people that day by saying, there is something to all of this. And if you want to learn more about stuff like UFOs, here's a short list. And on that short list, I'll never forget this day. Um, written on the blackboard behind him was John Keel, Operation Trojan Horse. It's like, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I, you know, I really, at that moment, I mean, I grew up in the Lutheran church. My dad was a pastor. I've gone to Lutheran schools my whole life from kindergarten through my undergraduate. And of course, then at the seminary as well. But I don't know that I've ever felt more at home than that moment. Because I, here I was training to become a Lutheran pastor, and my seminary professor was saying, go check out John Keel for ideas on how this is actually breaking through from a completely different source than you're used to. And so I, I just felt like, okay, it is all beginning to lock into place for me. And I think that's, that's another way of, of talking about this very subject is that that one day in that one Lutheran Confessions systematics class let me know that I had been on a path where I felt like, um, it all, you know, uh, there is a right track that I'm on. And that just helped push me a little bit further down that road to where now, um, you know, on the shoots that I've gone on, and this happened just as recently as April, or, you know, we're out there in Washington State. We're out in this remote location and, you know, honest to goodness, looking for Bigfoot, right? And the guys in this Olympic project who spend a ton of time out in the woods and uh, have all these methodologies of how they're gathering data, you know, kind of one by one throughout the, the couple of nights that were there, when they have the opportunity where it's just me and them, here comes the spiritual conversation. You know, I, I don't go into those situations thinking I've got to strike up the question because it always comes to me. You know, it's just, a, again, it's just a matter of time. And it's, it's really remarkable because they're asking me a version of this question. And I think another little cool secret, I guess I would call it, is people would be surprised at the number of confessing Christians that are in this subculture to begin with. And by this subculture, I mean cryptozoology, the unexplained, the paranormal. Now, there's a lot of people who are not, which is a, something I appreciate about it, actually. But there, by the same token, there's a lot of people who don't make a big deal about it, but they have a biblical worldview. And that's, they are sometimes asking me to help them feel better about their interest, <laughs> I, I think is what it comes down to. As and, we are right now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> right. In real right. time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's really, it's pretty exciting. I mean, I, I always feel like, okay, now I know why I'm, you know, 2000 miles away from home right now out in the middle of the Washington woods is to have this conversation with this person because they need to know that they're not doing something that is putting themselves in some sort of spiritual harm. 
Um, they're just living in the world that God created that has mystery all throughout it. And I guess that's one other angle I'll attach to it. And I'll just do this in a summary sort of way, but uh, a contention of mine, and I've said this in a, a ton of public settings, is that you know my my confession of faith and my stance on Christian belief is that it presupposes and rests on mystery. You know, just pull out a creed <laughs> and and work your way through a creed, and you'll you'll very quickly come to the realization that there's there are things here that you cannot and will not ever understand on this side of heaven and so you'd better make some peace with mystery and and there being things that you'll never grasp because the historical christian faith is absolutely built on that type of mystery it's built on a a god that has said certain things about himself but as far as reason goes, we, we hit a wall at a certain point in describing how he can be the way he is. And so I, again, I think I reach a point where I feel like there's not a whole lot to reconcile if we make this very simple and hopefully not simplistic, but simple in the sense that our, our faith, there's a discernible faith. There's a vocabulary for faith that means what we say. But there's also a lot there that we don't understand. And it's kind of what we mean when we say we have faith is the parts that we don't understand. We we're okay with that. We accept it. And there's a way we can even celebrate that. And you can almost say the same thing about a mystery light in the sky or a figure in the woods that defies description. You've never seen anything like that before. You can describe it. You can tell other people what you saw. Do you know what you saw? Probably not. Or, or you know as much as anyone else does, which is to say not a whole lot. And um, I'm comfortable with that, I guess, is the bottom line. I, I've reached a point where mystery and unexplained questions is not a problem. And, and going after answers there's nothing wrong with that either, but you know, ultimately the the mystery is really um, is the whole thing, and it's very interesting to watch people kind of um, try to to accept that idea <laughs> and roll it around in their mind. Because I, I really, when sometimes when people ask the question, especially someone without, you know, really a, a faith life whatsoever, I'm not sure why they're asking the question. You know, there's always a reason why someone's asking a question like that. And I don't know why they're asking it, but it, it, I, I, I've seen it sort of just silence certain people like, oh, I didn't, you know, maybe, hopefully, th this is the hopefully as far as I'm concerned, the hopefully is I didn't know Christian faith was like that. I thought it was something else completely. And I kind of see myself in sort of a meta sort of way as maybe that's why I'm in the position that I'm in. I hope that's true. Just to, to be a person who, who causes people to think about the historic Christian faith in a, a way that they didn't know was 
possible. That, that maybe is a big goal, but I, I hope that that's true. But no, I think you're right. And I think that for me, it, it's sort of, there's a, 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 a shared stance towards the world, right? I think at its best, Christians should approach the world with a sense of childlike wonder, right? And, and, yeah. and not with a set of set answers that you just sort of thoughtlessly rely on, right? And I think yeah. that when people talk to you about, are surprised by the kind of Christian you are, they, oh, I didn't know Christianity was like that. I think that they very often confronted with Christians who don't leave open that imagination, right? Um, uh, the room for that imagination. And I feel like that's one reason for me that I've always loved this kind of thing. I mean, I grew up in the era of Leonard Nimoy and In Search Of, right? And so yep. that was my oh, kind yeah. of introduction to all this. And so from a very young age, um, while going to church, I would remember running home from church on Sunday nights to watch In Search Of, right? Which mm -hmm. was really church for me in many cases, I think. <laughs> so, but, uh, but I remember um, I didn't at that time even distinguish the two. To me, it's sort of like miracle stories in the Bible and abominable snowman on uh, whatever channel uh, In Search Of was on, right? And so, mm -hmm. and yeah, to me, it's sort of about an openness to miracle and, and to the miraculous and to wonder. And, and, and I agree with that. Um, David, did you want to um, follow up with anything that Mark just said? Well, I, I had a, a probably a very similar experience because I was raised in a, a, a very devoutly Christian uh, home, you know, still uh, still embrace, you know, the faith of my, uh, the faith of my parents, um, have, you know, taught, uh, taught Sunday morning studies in, in, in church have spent 10 years of my life teaching in Christian higher education, um, am now currently employed by a Christian high school. Um, you know, I, I, I take confessional Christianity very seriously and, there's this other side of me that I've always been super interested in, but was never sure how to square it. I remember checking out a book about um, UFOs from the library as a kid and reading it until I got to the point that I was so unnerved that I had mm. didn't know how to put together the book with what else I believed to be true, that I closed it and I returned it. And I was just nothing but Sasquatch for probably 15 years. Yeah. Right. It was C.S. Lewis's space trilogy that kind of brought me around conceptually to um, back to the idea of the lights in the sky and is that a mind behind that light? And is that, is that mind not like us, but analogous? You know, is, is that some, someone from somewhere else? Um, are there someones somewhere else? So that that kind of uh, difficulty is, is is something that I've I've, I've felt at a, a lot of a lot of points in my life. Um, why it is that not every branch of Protestantism, but many branches of Protestantism, it's like will be paradoxical and supernaturalist within the, the the confines of the doctrines we affirm, but for everything else, it's yeah. you know we're enlightenment materialist. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like why not, why not Lords, right? Like why, why does not, why does Lords like, why do, why do Protestants like poo poo that? Right. You know, like why not? <laughs> you know, I think I totally agree. You know, it's funny you bring that up, Danny. I was listening again. Uh, I mentioned Jimmy Aiken's mysterious world. Jimmy Aiken is uh, his day job is as a, 
a Roman Catholic apologist and writer. Um, but he's also super interested in the paranormal and um, psychic phenomena and ghosts and UFOs and all that stuff. He interviewed a fellow who, oh, I think he did some kind of uh, uh, remote viewing, I think was, was, mm. was, his, was his thing. Uh, but he came from a he came from a Mormon background. And this is something that the guest said. This is not Jimmy Aiken, but the guest said, um, I've met a lot of people who've had experiences like mine who came from a Christian background. And most of them left left their faith after having that experience because they couldn't square that experience with their faith. But he said, I've no one that I've ever met who's had this experience who was Mormon or Catholic did that happen to. And so he, he, that, that was kind of, he just mm. sort of tossed that out there that like, there's these two traditions that, you know, you know, historically or well, Catholicism, I think we're, we're not going to get into it. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember I teach people, at a sisters people. of mercy school here. So, all right. Yeah. No, no, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking about um, the, the other one anyway, but two traditions who, regard themselves as believing what the Bible affirms and having a, having a disposition that, um, uh, that is more open to thing, to, to amazing things that sure. weren't explicitly described in that, in that book. So right. would you say that, uh, I mean, as the spokesperson for all of Lutheranism, <laughs> but would you say that there's something in the Lutheran tradition that maybe leaves a door open that maybe some other Protestant traditions wouldn't? I think so. I, and I wouldn't say that that's very explicit anywhere um, right. or even articulated, but Martin Luther's UFO diaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. so those are, those are only in Latin still for some reason. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think there is. And I, it goes back to, I think, the fundamental way in which Scripture is regarded. I don't, I, this is very rarely, if ever, been articulated, I don't think. But it is that same idea of, we believe that, you know, the, that there is, outside of the, the scriptural record and our, our statements of faith, that the miraculous still can happen and it, it has to be able to if god is god mm -hmm. um where that comes to life probably most explicitly if anywhere is this is getting sort of arcane i suppose but, but it's um in our liturgical theology where we're mm -hmm. talking about linkage between heaven and earth you know like especially sacramentally at the table being united with the activity of heaven I mean, there is a very powerful, mysterious, strong sense of wonder and yet um, spiritual reality that um, as and that that is the one place I can think of off the top of my head where it is made explicit, you know, in our liturgy and in, in the historic Christian liturgy where it's with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify God's holy name. So we're saying, whether people know it or not, we're saying that we're doing the same thing right now that they're doing in heaven. Now, on the face of it, that is opening the door to 
you know, we're reaching across some sort of dimension to use that sort of language to participate around the throne of God. Now that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. When you yeah. really stop to plumb the depths of what that means. Um, uh, and of course, then in the, the same breath, you could say, well, it's, you know, if you were to ask, you know, the person on the street in the Lutheran church, if, is that your understanding? I don't know if they would say yes or no, um, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> and I think that's across the board in Lutheranism is we are great at learning the answers to the questions, but then exploring and thinking through the dimensions of those, you're kind of left up to your own devices to do that. So, um, that's a long way around to answer the question, I suppose, but, but it's there, but I would say it's not, there's no sort of, um, framework for articulating that, I guess you have to sort of go find it yourself, which is sort of where I feel what I feel I've done is, um, by internalizing, you know, Luther's six chief parts and, um, law and gospel and all the Lutheran ways of thinking through scripture, I've arrived at that, the conclusion that here's, you know, there's so much there in scripture that describes again and again, uh, a, a point of view that says there's so much, you know, there's, there's a few things that we're told and we should know what those things are. And there's a lot happening behind the scenes that typically God doesn't even let us in on. And, and that's okay. <laughs> that, that, that's really fine. It's, it's his business. But once in a while, I think some of the things that people glimpse uh, uh, is a, a, a peek behind that curtain. Yeah. Why would we expect to get God's memo on, all, on everything? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. One of the things that I'm interested in as we get into this conversation and uh, we've looked at it. Um, I appreciate the way that you've, you've brought in the sort of theological distinctives of the tradition and the way that it affects it. But also there's a long history of Christian scholars, like the big names, people like Augustine, um, you know, saints, <laughs> doctors of the church who spent a lot of time in delving into seeking explanations in the terms of their own time and in the terms of their faith for things that a lot of uh, a lot of christians nowadays would just sort of make that enlightenment rationalist move and say nah not that um so do you see i mean maybe not necessarily a return to the way Thomas Aquinas thinks about alchemy or, um, you know, uh, Augustine's speculations about dog headed men on the other side of the world and city of God. Mm -hmm. um, but is the, is there any kind of a, re, of a return to maybe some, some earlier categories that might actually be helpful for a more faithful Christian thinking about these things? Well, I, yeah, I, I think that, um, what I'll say about that is I think that the impulse is there. And I think that's really what's behind what a lot of people, both within the church and, you know, many people outside of it too, they're, they have that interest in, you know, these, I guess, non-material explanations to 
what's happened to them or or to someone in their life or or just in general sort of a more from just a remove but just an interest that they have and i i do i do think that that is uh it's a reaction perhaps and uh, uh just a pushback to what they have been given in terms of uh you know uh more of a materialist standpoint and you know I, what i'm thinking of is you know you mentioned a couple cases where people had experiences that they couldn't explain and that led them on a path away from the church and i'm i from reading about it i've heard that the the case where um the case on which the book the exorcist was based actually happened in St. Louis and it was a little boy, not a girl, but that, um, the family was, this is what grabbed my attention. The, the family was a uh, Lutheran by confession and they involved their pastor at first who evidently had come out of sort of a historical critical background in training. And while he, did a few sort of mild things to try to help them. I don't, you know, without knowing the man himself, it seems as though he didn't really believe in what was happening. Mm. He didn't believe that it could happen. And that's sort of the uncomfortable situation that some uh, Protestant, I'll just say that, um, especially pastors have, they've found themselves in that situation where you know, people will come to them and say, you know, I, I woke up the other night and I think I saw my grandfather standing at the foot of the bed and the pastor knee jerk tells them, oh, well, you couldn't have. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no way that that could ever happen. You must have had, you know, you, you know, it, it just isn't what you think it is. And I, I think that is the reclaiming that. um it is a move that is happening and you see it in, in, in no sort of concerted effort, but I think it's more of a organic uh, grassroots sort of case by case thing. And that's, it's probably, um, it's certainly not the reason, but it's part of the reason behind small town monsters in a certain way is, um, you know, uh, Seth is also, uh, uh, you know, I would, I would say he was, he's a serious church going Christian and he is himself looking to put pieces together in the same way that we're talking about. So it's that sort of quest is behind the films, even though they're, they are self-consciously non-dogmatic as the documentaries are, uh, are concerned, but that's very much a push is to uh, bring all of these things together. And yeah, so I I guess it's sort of a incoherent movement right now, but I do think that it's, it's present and it it is sort of the pendulum swinging back in the direction of, of um, accepting the, the mysterious accepting the, um, there are other categories for just even talking about these things than uh, a scientific, quote unquote, scientific materialist perspective would give you. 
Could, could I like throw a curveball? Uh, just a it's just a small curveball. Um, yeah, maybe it's not yeah, small. Um, but so when you see like the ancient alien guys, that's kind of taking the supernatural and materializing it in its nature, right? It's sort of taking all mm. these miraculous things and having essentially scientific explanations, materialist explanations for them. So, you know, Ezekiel's wheel or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. all the, whenever they do quote the Bible, that's always the move that they make. Right. Oh, sure. Um, and so, and I do like, gosh, so I grew up Nazarene, right. And so Nazarene is very, um, I always kind of locate it somewhere between Pentecostals and Methodists. Right. And, and so when I was younger, it was probably closer to the Pentecostals uh, in a lot of ways. And so I did, there was a damaging kind of uh, sense of wonder, I think, because, mm. you know, I grew up thinking that the end times were around the corner. Right. And every news story was about the Antichrist. And um, there were demon stories to explain someone that just was alcoholic or something. Right. And so um, I, I do think it is I, I don't know, like I don't want to completely um, dismiss that someone can be, can go off the rails, um, by looking mm-hmm. for the miraculous too much, right. From a, even in a, even a, even in a, a church tradition, does that make sense? What I'm saying? I'm sorry. I feel it like does. I'm, I'm stumbling yeah, around. You know, it ab- no, no, it absolutely does. And, you know, and I do, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because it is, it's very much the old CS Lewis statement, right. About not becoming, uh, either on one hand, um, blind to the the nature of evil or you know that there is a there is a dark side uh you can say it's not there but that doesn't mean it isn't and by the same token the other mistake is to become so fascinated by that that you get pulled in all the way so i think it is important to to have that as a a caution that when we're talking about um being open or to the the miraculous or, or that which causes us wonder um, that's not, that's, that's the beginning, I think of a, of a search. That's the beginning of a quest that I'm very eager to ultimately, you know, weigh against what are you experiencing against the revealed word that we find in scripture. But, um, but it is certainly, I mean, I, I was growing up, you know, in, in my confirmation catechism classes you know we'd get to the the second commandment and the luther's explanation of the second commandment very explicitly condemns witchcraft and deceiving by god's name you know and and the pastors who taught the class one of which was my father you know used that to say look there's stuff here that has to do with the supernatural and and actively trying to contact the quote unquote other side that you don't want any part of yeah. and you're playing with fire and you don't, don't do it basically. <laughs> and I mean, I took that to heart and I still feel that way to today, yes, you know, and I, I, in my confirmation classes, I teach them, you know, don't use a Ouija board. That's I was just going to talk about Ouija boards. Yeah. Yes. I would never it's, even go near one, you know, uh, right. even as skeptical as I am, right? I still would never mm-hmm. go near one, right? And so, right, right. <laughs> and so that it does have to, there does have to be a balance that I think is there. Um, but but having said that, it, it's it can function as a type of exercise in a way where 
you know, when you hear uh, George Sukalos making a claim about <laughs> Ezekiel's wheel, for example, well, you can use that as an exercise to say, well, let's let's go back to Ezekiel chapter one. Yeah. And let's look at what it really says. And let's look at it as a, a, a student of Scripture who has some hermeneutic principles <laughs> that are we're going to apply here. And is it really? A flying saucer or or what is being described. And I think that it's it's very rich in that sense. Um it if it if it gets us to plunge back into what the texts actually say, then there can be a, a really interesting dialogue, I yeah. think, that happens. And um I've you know, and I say that not just hypothetically, but I've seen that happen. I mean I've I've had that conversation with people who are willing to and I think they're sometimes shocked to learn that we don't just look at a, a couple verses in the Bible and make it mean whatever we want to, just based on how we feel on a given day. But there's there's a process that we go through yeah. um, derived from Scripture itself that helps us to arrive at a meaning. Yeah. And it's fun to help that light bulb come on for people. Yeah. And there are like, you know, Christians who do exactly what you're talking about. They, they cherry pick a verse and, and apply it you know, inappropriately. Right. Um, just incidentally, I, I happen to be the uh, club advisor where I work at Mount Aloysius College in Pennsylvania uh, mm-hmm. for the paranormal club. And uh, and and I sort of took that over. Because, I mean, they they knew who to come to. Right. To right. To, uh, to be a club advisor for it because um, it's fun. But I also once I met, you know, some of the students in class, I was, you know, legitimately concerned about some of their mental health, right? And so I, mm-hmm. I actually went to counseling services and and had them prepare some kind of like, um, you know, literature so I can hand out to because I feel like as fun as it is and as much as it is um, exploring the imagination and um, even exploring faith issues, the wrong person the wrong group of people, the wrong person in the wrong group of people can be led down a really kind of disastrous path. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so I really, I felt like an overwhelming burden, honestly, that first year when I was doing that. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, uh, now that you mentioned, I, I'm going to actually see if I can get the club to watch invasion on chestnut Ridge. Uh, cause we happen mm-hmm. to live like right at the edge of that, of that region of, of oh, Pennsylvania. Wow. And, and I, I guess that's a segue I can um, handily use right now. Um, because the Pennsylvania Bigfoot stories are kind of like a little distinct, I think, from a lot of mm-hmm. the other ones. Um, the, there's this region, you guys have a great film about it, the invasion on Chestnut Ridge, which is about, and it's basically from around Indiana down to like Washington, PA. There's this sort of path <laughs> where all kinds of weird stuff has happened, like yeah. from UFOs to lots of Bigfoot stuff to like witches and, and weird lights and all kinds of stuff. Um, I live like 40 minutes from Kecksburg. And so I, I took my kid mm-hmm. over to the Kecksburg site. Right. And, all um, right. <laughs> and, um, but Stan Gordon is sort of the, I guess, spokesperson for this region. Um, mm-hmm. You see him in a lot of your films and, and you see him in a lot of these kinds of films, but he has um, really kind of no problem in these films. Um, sp- almost spiritualizing Bigfoot. Right. And so there is sort mm-hmm. of a debate, I think within Bigfoot, that almost mirrors the the religious debate we're talking about about accepting mm-hmm. supernatural, right? Um, yes. Like there is like the the biological Bigfoot people who want it to be just a subspecies of ape, right? And then mm-hmm. you have 
in this region I happen to live in, this kind of openness that Bigfoot might be some more interdimensional or even spiritual or alien type being. Uh, do you want to, I don't know, pontificate <laughs> a little bit about that? <laughs> like, what are your thoughts yeah. on that whole thing? Well, you you put your finger on it. It's exactly right. It's this idea that um, you know, it, it comes down to how much are you as an individual willing to accept just the concept that there may be a dimension beyond ours that you cannot normally see or sense, but that things can occasionally come through to us and then perhaps go back where they came from, wherever that happens to be. <laughs> and you see that in the, the Bigfoot community, absolutely, 100%. There are, there are very sharply delineated camps where there's a very certainly an orthodoxy in place that <laughs> this is 100% a biological creature. It's simply an undiscovered primate. And if you, um, if you even open the door towards any other explanation than that, then there'll be a kind of subtle shunning that takes place and it might just be you're made fun of, but, um, but it, it's there. It is very much there. And I think what's so interesting about Stan, uh, you mentioned Stan Gordon, is that he has really taken a, a stance where he's, um, the thing he's interested in most is taking the report that he receives just verbatim and not even attempting to explain what he's been given. Just record the data, file it, make it available to interested people and say, this is what I was told. And he, you know, he, if you get him alone, you can get him to speculate about <laughs> this or that. But the, the thing that's so interesting about it is what he discovered is that, you know, he was sharing reports with the flesh and blood Bigfoot crowd. And they would take the parts of the story he shared with them that jibe with their viewpoints and pass that part of the story along, but would omit the inconvenient parts of the story. Jefferson's Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, not unlike that, honestly. And because, you know, he, he gets uh, the occasional report where you'll get these very clear, distinct tracks, very large, you know, 17 to 20 inch human-like footprints, uh, one of which was... Um, very clearly those were in the snow and those made the rounds, you know, on Facebook and all in YouTube and all these Bigfoot spots on the internet. But what a lot of them left out was the fact that, um, the tracks simply stop and start with no, it's as if something, you know, just plopped down out of the sky, took some steps and then vanished. Well, the flesh and blood crowd, wants no part of that so they'll they'll talk to you about the track how long it was how deep the indentations were whether or not you could see um like folds in the skin but they they don't like to talk about the fact that um it would seem that something like phased in and then phased out to to say it that way and so that type of um i guess that sort of editorializing of these reports is going on all the time. 
<laughs> and that's what I appreciate the most about Stan Gordon is that he takes pains to just receive what he's been given and what he's experienced and he just passes it along says I'm I'm not really trying to interpret this I'm just telling you this is what this person told me and it with him too is sort of the same thing that I've seen across the board is that so many of these researcher types who make themselves available to receive accounts from people who have seen strange things have never had an experience of their own. <laughs> um, and you know, these are, and, and I guess I would probably fall into that category. I've been in places where, you know, presumably my, my chances of seeing something weird were enhanced at least and nothing has happened. But, um, I've just found that to be true that a lot of these and the, the huge big names in like the four horsemen of Bigfoot from the 1960s, none of them had an experience of their own. John Green, Rene DeHinden, uh, Peter, Peter Byrne, um, they, they dedicated large chunks of their adult life to that pursuit and they never heard or saw anything themselves, which raises you know an entirely different set of questions but but yeah you're right i mean the the pennsylvania um chestnut ridge area laurel highlands uh, area to some degree there does seem to be this concentration of oddities and um some of that perhaps i think could be you know we're we just came out with a uh uh on the trail of ufo's dark sky which is concentrated in West Virginia. Um, but I think there, there, there might be something to um, geographical areas, uh, what's in the earth. You know, the whole, one of the things in dark sky that is, was brought up in a book that I read is the idea that there's a lot of West Virginia sightings of unexplained lights in the sky that seem to, end up going down into or near coal mines, mm. which, you know, make of that with what you will, but um, maybe the, the earth itself has a way of making things more perceptible. I, I don't know. Uh, the, but the Chestnut Ridge, you're right in that the, the Bigfoot sightings that happen there really do seem to have a, a weird quality to them. Uh, either sort of the um, like the famous one in Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, of course, is the the white Bigfoot that comes out of the woods holding a glowing orb yeah. in his hand. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Great. You know. <laughs> but even if it's not that weird, it's it's something that's weird enough. Like um, a, a creature lying in the road that stands up when a car approaches, but doesn't move off of the road. And so it's essentially bumped up against your headlights and peering down, looking into your, your windshield. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's, it's very much, it seems to be a different sort of quality to whatever's happening there than like the Pacific Northwest, for example, where there's by and large, it's a road crossing or something seen at a far distance, uh, d different, different type of experience. Yeah. Yeah, and I um I 
told you off air that my in-laws up until recently lived right at the edge of Salt Fork State Park. They live right up the road from the launch ramp. And it's mm-hmm. it's a part of the culture um, at Salt Fork at this point. Um, there's a guy right up the road from their house that built like a, a waving Bigfoot statue in his front yard. And, and it's yeah. been there for years. Um, yep. But um, like I remember I've never really I've never had an experience. Maybe I, I, I one night around 11, 1130. There was three knocks like on the side of the house, right? That what they, they lived hmm. in. And I just kind of squinted and looked around and didn't thinking of it. And then there was like three more knocks on the on the side of the house. This wasn't out in the woods. And of course, if you watch enough Bigfoot stuff, it's tree knocking is a big um motif, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in Bigfoot hunting. And so my father and I and I went outside and looked around the house and I didn't we didn't see anything, right? And then some not too long later there was a, a Bigfoot symposium of some sort at the local library and there was a write-up in the newspaper about it and someone was talking about how many people have reported knocks on the sides of their houses right and so to me that's clearly somebody trying to drum up tourist business (laughs) you know trying (laughs) trying to add to the mythology of salt fork bigfoot right Mm -hmm. someone's going around pranking people trying to sell t-shirts or something right and Mm -hmm. so um but um that's the closest i've ever had to uh any kind of bigfoot experience at all and but in it's still fascinating to me right i'm wearing my little bigfoot t-shirt as we speak right now and it's something mm-hmm. that i truly love right and um and and so um i i don't know i i don't necessarily have any respect for the debunkers like i mean i don't want to ever debunk it right i i, I want to uh consider the possibility and i think that's mm-hmm. probably an outgrowth of my faith as we're talking about here and, and mark i don't want to take up um all night i could talk to you for hours on this yeah. but um yeah. but um let me uh david is there any like last questions you want to get to before we uh let mark go i was thinking about we've been talking about uh sasquatch and we've been talking about ancient aliens but there's also the, uh, especially in the UFO camp, there's the the John uh, the the John Keel, and the Jacques Vallée, ah. um, folk who say no, it's not nuts and bolts spaceships with you know friendly greys who want to share their technology. There's they're getting into it's it's thrones it's powers it's dominions it's inner it's interdimensional tricksters who are playing with us it's this present uh, darkness basically yeah that, yeah that, yeah that I, i'm like from, uh, are we in a yeah. frank freddy novel is that yeah. what just happened yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um i wondered it, on one hand there's 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 part of me as a christian that that thinks uh, i i I'm, I'm glad that you're open to the possibilities of a supernatural dimension that's not just nuts and bolts materialism mm-hmm. but on the other hand um i look at the kind of real harm that it's done um to people i've been not not close with but people i've been acquainted with who sort of get carried off into the you know the nephilim are coming back to take over or <laughs> You know mm-hmm. that, that there, there's there's that uh, that angle on it uh, as well. I mean, is is there a way to kind of, um, I don't know, s- safely navigate the uh, the those who want to say, yeah, there's a supernatural angle on that, but then how do you how do you keep it from from becoming something that's going to fuel 
a paranoia. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or to, you know, or, or people who have genuine mental illness and have experiences that, um, that, that that's, this isn't, that, that's not going to help. <laughs> no, no. I, well, yeah. And, and I think that's, I mean, what you're asking kind of too is, is there a way to close the loop or to help somebody towards what they're intuiting and what they're hearing in an incomplete way with a little bit more of a, a pointed biblical viewpoint mm -hmm. on this? Because I yeah. think ultimately that's why our uh, that's why our professor had us read Keel or invited us to read Keel. I wish he had made us read Keel. <laughs> <laughs> But but I, I did anyway, and I think the fascinating thing with with the keel, which I've read far more of him than Jacques Vallée, but but um, what's fascinating about Keel is that he really was fumbling towards an idea that there is there are uh, personal uh, figures, beings. His word was ultra terrestrials, but who I really think he was talking about. And he wasn't that afraid to use the word demonic. He would use he would use that occasionally. But um, for whatever reason, he was able to embrace the idea of us. Now I'm putting words in his mouth, but he <laughs> he was willing to embrace the idea of a satanic figure. Huh. But I never got the sense that he was willing to embrace a godlike figure huh. on the other side of that. And it's I think just that fear. Yeah. It's like HP right. Lovecraft here. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, very much so. And I think that's, that's where the opportunity lies in, you know, as I see it is to say, you know, what Keel was grasping towards just using his reason and his, his uh, authorly sort of skill at pulling your readers along. Uh, what he was grasping at is there's actually ample biblical support for, and the Bible actually names names. <laughs> and uh, that that is where I think the obligation is from a Christian standpoint, if you take those things seriously, then to show people that, you know, when I'm asked, how do you reconcile these things? Well, it, it's this is how. You know, that there are forces that can manipulate things in life uh, that are nefarious and are out to harm. And you, you don't want to play around with those. You need to know who to go to, uh, who is far more powerful, has authority over those forces. And I think that that is descriptive of our, you know, throughout history, the human condition and certainly our our age today is that people are fascinated by and even comfortable with the idea of a ultra terrestrial um you know, in a in a bad sense he's out to harm you in a neutral sense sure uh, some people could accept that there's a spiritual entity that's unknowable but when you start moving towards those that are knowable and if you get to know him then that's going to mean things for your life. And he's going to claim your life for the better, but it's going to mean changes. That I think that's where people run into um, not the fact that they don't understand it, 
It's that they do understand it and they're, they're resisting what, you know, closing that loop is going to really mean for them. So there it's, it's a tenuous position because I think people love to be scared. I think people love a good ghost story and even, you know, the darker shadow people and top hat man and those stories as well. But then they balk at the idea of, well, you know, we can just the, the name or the word Jesus Christ, you have ultimate authority. He has ultimate authority over them. And, and that's where, you know, either you're pulling, you're helping someone along or that's the point at which they get really nervous because they sense rightly that if they're going to align themselves with Christ, then that that's going to have implications for the whole rest of their lives. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, we can, you know, as the opportunities arise, we can show them in, in a, a winsome way that, that that's what you want. <laughs> you want to be aligned with him, you know, and it's the whole, again, to, to, referencing C.S. Lewis for some reason, but, you know, the, the Aslan comparison of uh, he's not safe, but he's good, uh-huh. I think really applies in this case uh, very much so. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, and I can't agree with you more. I, I've been, I'm working on a little essay about the Conjuring movies. So I recently watched through all of the Conjuring Universe movies and and I found it to be shockingly right in line with what you're saying, all the dark demonic stuff that's going on. I mean, there is a, unlike a lot of other horror franchises, there is a clear God in the center of that universe that is like mm-hmm. um, remarkably conservative in its theology, honestly. And um, uh, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a kind of surprising that con- that universe is so popular um, across the, you know, you know, non-religious people. Cause it mm-hmm. is probably the best Christian cinema I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, taken in total. That's wild. <laughs> um, so, but um, Mark, uh, thank you so much. Uh, this has been such an honor. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this kind of stuff. I, like I said, this is just what I was hoping to, the kind of conversation I was hoping to have. Um, you're very generous. Um, once again, I can't recommend um, Mark and um, Seth's work enough to listeners out there. Small Town Monsters, if you just sort of look it up on the internet, uh, you'll find all of their websites. Uh, there's many projects that they have. The The podcast is called Monsteropolis, um, recorded in, apparently in Wadsworth every, mm-hmm. <laughs> every, yep. uh, every Almost week. Almost always, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, it's, a, it's a, a great production company, and I think it, it approaches this kind of material in my favorite way uh, of anybody that approaches this kind of material. I Mm. think that you guys do it the best for me. And uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time uh, to to join us today. Any, uh, any last words from you, Mark? Oh, well, uh, I'm just um, very grateful that, because when you, when you work on things like this, I mean, of course there's intrinsic reasons for working on it, but you always hope that it's going to find an audience of people who really can perceive why you're doing this and you know you do it in a certain way that's certainly not the ancient aliens or or history (laughs) channel way of doing it and you just have to believe the you know the right people will find it and so I, i it means a lot to me personally to know that you know there are people like yourselves who who do 
get it. You do understand what we're what we're trying to do here, and um, that that's that's really rewarding. You know, it's very satisfying. I, I'm I this has flown by. This conversation <laughs> is just absolutely rocketed by. I, I'm, thanks for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, David, thank you for uh, encouraging me to reach out to Mark. I, I it was uh, talking about supernatural intervention. Like we both sort of independently had the idea <laughs> yeah. and, and I needed that little push to, to reach out to you. And I'm so happy that it worked out. David. One little, uh, one little other hat tip to the um, monster study group. Oh yeah. Podcasts. Yes. Uh, yes. Your, your, your other podcast where you delve into, um, all things Kaiju movie. Yes. Um, so, you know, big Gamera Ultraman <laughs> cheers oh, going on over here. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were yeah, that. That's... We were watching Ultraman while my wife was in labor with our first child. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's wow. the most David Grubb story of all time, right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying that, and uh, also, well, you you can you you Google around, and you can also find uh, Mark's church and his homilies, which are also, um, if you want to uh, hear a. Uh, a winsome, articulate, uh, clear gospel truth. Mm. Uh, I, I really appreciated the, uh, your homilies as well. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Well, David Grubbs, Mark Matsky, thank you so much for joining me. I had a, a blast tonight. Um, I can't wait to get feedback from listeners about it. So uh, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm at Danny P. Anderson at Twitter. It's probably the best place to find me these days. But uh, looking forward to hearing what you had to say about this. And like I said, I can't uh, recommend checking out the, the gang at Small Town Monsters and all the things that Mark does um, so well. Uh, and for Mark and David, um, I mean, my name is Danny Anderson. Uh, thanking you for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast.